the Black Scholars Podcast. BlackScholarsPublishing.com That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Black Scholars Podcast. I am your host, Leonard Andre Wilson Jr. Glad to have you guys back. This is episode 37. We are going to take a look at episode 3 of the docuseries, America to Me. Remember, America to Me, the docuseries, is published by STARS. However, I have exciting news. I have been contacted by some movers and shakers behind this actual documentary. And I'm proud to announce that Participants America to Me is offering all 10 episodes of America to Me, plus the Real Talk Guide to Educators for Free. So you have access to this docu-series. It's 10 episodes long. I know it's the summertime, um, but I do feel this docu-series, this documentary is worth watching. It's a game changer. And it gives us a way to discuss and continue the discussion and discourse on everything we have going on, specifically with Black Lives Matter, um, racial injustice, uh, police brutality, uh, inequality versus inequity, all of the things, you know, the, the even from the previous podcast series I did on how the pandemic is impacting K-12 education and a lot of those discussions centered on uh, with the distance learning, how the equity, there's, there's a serious equity issue some families have, some families do not. And, and when we say some families have, we're talking Wi-Fi, we're talking equipment. We're even talking um, the, the expertise of skill level, students included, to be able to uh, manipulate the, this equipment and this software to be able to fully, thoroughly learn the objectives that you're laying out for your students. And as we're going into fall, um, and I know it's still summer, but many of our schools, especially in the South, they start back in August. My school starts back in August. And so, you know, I'm reading emails and they're saying we're going to do social distance learning um, and, and, it's, and we're going to have masks on, but, you know, it's going to be social distance. The desks are going to be six feet apart and I'm going to be six feet away. And, you know, I can't walk around. I can't put the kids in groups and we're going to wash our hands and we're going to sanitize and we're going to check temperatures. It's a hot mess right now. It's an utter hot mess. Just look at the number of deaths in the United States in comparison to China, where it first originated, or Japan. You're talking about a country with, I I don't even want to guess, but they dwarf the United States in population. And, you know, any death is too much, but their amount of deaths is minuscule in comparison. Any country you pick out, the United States is leading all countries and deaths due to COVID-19 and the coronavirus. It's ridiculous. So the fact that we can't even come together on if we should make wearing masks mandatory, how on God's green earth are we going to require kids to come physically back to school along with the educators, physically come back to school, and you think no one's going to get ill? 
no one's going to be impacted? Seriously? So, we definitely have to keep education at the forefront. And when we have a documentary, a docuseries like this, that really combines everything that we're talking about right now, everything we're fighting for right now, everything uh, that we're posting about, we're writing about, we're creating blogs and vlogs, we're writing books about, the content that is, has been coming out has been great. It's been motivating. It's been inspiring. But we have to keep that fire burning. Don't let that fire go out. Keep going. I'm speaking to everyone, all black educators, counselors, librarians, teachers, principals, students, scholars, professors, parents. Keep going. Do not take your foot off of the gas. All right. So let's get into the actual episode, episode three. So it starts out with Grant. And we're going to skip past that, that part. He's, he's trying to figure out his, his dating situation. He's talking to his parents. And they give us the backstory on how they met. Uh, his mom is white. His dad is black. It's an interracial couple. They love each other. They knew he loved each other early on. It's a beautiful thing. Shout out to them. But let's get into Kendall. So Kendall starts out. He's running. He's running through the neighborhood. Remember, he's on the wrestling team. He's trying to lose weight. And his uncle is speaking to just how busy and focused Kendall is. Let's listen to that audio. It amazes me. You know, he's a good manager with the limited time that he has. You go to school. You have a band wrestling and then you're coming home to chores in the house and then studying to 12 o'clock at night and getting up and running sometimes you'll come and say i'm just tired i'm tired i'm tired dad i'm tired so kendall is exhausted he's on the wrestling team he's a part of the drum line and band he's a senior in high school so that means he's, you know, more than likely retaking the ACT. They don't show us that, but I'm going to assume, just thinking back to my own senior year or even when I taught high school, uh, he's looking at colleges, looking at universities. And I can relate because in high school, I did a lot of things. I played basketball. I played baseball. Um, I was on a debate team. I worked. I first started working in middle school at my grandfather's uh, barber shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Then I started working at McDonald's. Then I worked at Arby's. And then we had a co-op program at my high school, which allowed me to enter banking, which was my first career before I became an educator. So I would take these classes in the morning and then I would leave grab me some lunch, and then I would head to work, and I would work until the bank closed. So I was very busy, very, very busy, and I didn't even include technically everything that I did, including the endless chores, the infinite chores that my dad gave me. But it made me a better man. It made me a better human being and provider and extremely independent. So... There's obviously some pros to the fact that Kendall is very, very busy. But the uncle continues in the discussion on this episode saying that, you know, he has to let his wife know, Kendall's aunt, that sometimes, you know, they've got to take it a little easier on him. They got to watch him. They got to support him because it can become exhausting. And I'm thinking about personally one of my close friends in high school, her name is Kim. Well, Kim is a white girl, white woman now. She's a grown woman now. What's up, Kim? And I remember the pressure that she felt when she was in high school. See, I started out with pressure in high school. 
And then I got my driver's license. And I got my first car. Then all that pressure disappeared. I didn't care. I knew I was innately intelligent. So I didn't take high school as seriously as I should have. I didn't take things seriously until I transferred to Nashville uh, to Tennessee State University. That's when I started to take what I could be in academia seriously. But Kim always felt that pressure. And I remember her the next day early in the morning saying how she would be up till two in the morning and she'd be yawning through our first period class because she was studying all night or she was working on uh, a project and she was just constantly pushing herself, pushing herself, pushing herself. Well, she's a science teacher now in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for Milwaukee Public Schools and she's an excellent teacher. And um, so that worked out for her. But some people, it causes anxiety, depression, which could lead to a kid hurting themselves. I mean, we've all seen 13 Reasons Why on Netflix, where teenagers are making very bad decisions because they're being pressured and their mental health is suffering. So that's my only caveat. What do you guys think about that? About Kendall constantly just working, working, working. School, chores, you know, band, wrestling. He's got a lot on his plate. A lot on his plate. And we get, again, as we mentioned last episode with Dr. Foster, he's in this creative writing class. And I love this English teacher. I love his English teacher. But Kendall's prose is called My Life is Dope. And so you think my life is dope. Well, we know what dope means. That means that it's good. Like his life is dope. It's good. It's a good life. It's lit. It's litty. It's a lituation. Sorry, I won't do that again. But when you listen to the lines, because I'm still not sure if the prose is like, I mean, I know it's based on his perspective. It's based on real life. I'm not 100% sure if it's supposed to be a poem or if it's just creative prose. So we're just going to go with creative prose. But as you listen to the, the lyrics or or the content, he talks about the fact that he feels guilty because he feels like he wasn't supposed to make it. He wasn't supposed to be loved. He wasn't supposed to be going to a good school. He wasn't supposed to be doing well for himself. Potentially headed to college. Because his dad is in jail. His mother uh, allegedly was on drugs. According to his writing. And... His uncle and aunt are taking great care of him. And they don't have any other kids. It's just him. And so they're instilling in him a work ethic that's going to last him a lifetime. And he doesn't have to worry about the neighborhood gangs. He's not in a, He doesn't live in a bad neighborhood. He lives in a, a decent neighborhood. He lives in a good neighborhood. And so he goes out, he jogs, he runs. He gets to enjoy a middle-class life like so many of our, our kids deserve without having to worry about gunshots and gunfire. And with me being from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is about, uh, depends on who's, who's driving, an hour and 15, 20, maybe an hour and 30 minutes away, from Chicago, even shorter distance to Illinois, you can get from Milwaukee to the Illinois border in about 45 minutes with me driving. So I feel for these kids and, and teachers too when it comes to Chicago, Illinois. And literally every day on my MacBook, I have an alert from the Chicago Tribune. I get notifications. 
And they're constantly talking about the violence that happens in Chicago. And we've got babies dying. Kids who aren't even old enough to be in K-12. through Being randomly shot in the head. Being in their bedroom playing or, or sleeping and getting hit by a stray bullet. Or being outside playing and getting hit with a stray bullet. They call it Chirac, and it's a terrible name, but it's fitting. And it's not just Chicago, but Chicago is highlighted because it's so much violence. And it has been for quite some time. To be frank, it's the reason why I chose this documentary. It's the reason why I chose it, because... I've been analyzing violence in Chicago for years. I've been looking at this stuff for years. Because it hits so close to home. And I'm not going to portray a picture like my hometown is perfect. Because it's not. In Milwaukee, there's a lot of violence there too. There's a lot of black on black crime there too. There's a lot of police brutality there too. There's a huge achievement gap in Milwaukee public schools between African-American students and Caucasian students. Huge disparity, just like we're seeing at Oak Park, River Forest High. Huge disparity. So speaking of disparities, we transition to the American literature class which, not Kendall, Keyshawn is a part of. And he's in Miss Stovall's class. Let's listen to this audio. So you just have to imagine we are all in emergency rooms. So they're going to tell me what their ailments are. What's your ailment? I have, like, a really bad headache right now. Like, it keeps pounding. And what's your emergency? I need water. I can't drink. <laughs> okay, so you're severely dehydrated. Like, almost to the point of death? Yeah. Okay. What's your emergency? Uh, my leg got bit off by a shark. <laughs> what's, your, what's your emergency? I'm having seizures. Jared is the worst actor in the world. <laughs> At Dr. Stovall's emergency room, I treat everyone the same. I'm going to give you all Advil. I told you. That worked for me. How am I as a doctor? You're pretty Why? It was equal. Yeah. We often think of equality as being fair. Because I'm giving everyone the same thing. Equity, on the other hand, gives everyone what he or she needs in order to be successful. I might have a relationship with the student in which I found out that there's something going on at home that they can't get the work done. So you might hear me say, okay, I'll take it tomorrow. I'm not being lenient. It might be what somebody in the class needs specifically. Does that seem fair and okay with everyone? All right. All right, so it's amazing that Ms. Stovall again is giving lessons that stretch beyond the curriculum. She's given life, life lessons. Authentic, genuine learning. I hope those kids that she teaches are applying the lessons now that she taught them in 2015, 2016. Like this is a beautiful lesson on equality versus equity. Like, you heard from the audio. The kids were pretending to have all of these different ailments. And equality is like, hey, I'm going to give all of you the same solution. You're going to get the same resolution, which is Advil. But if you're having seizures, Advil is not going to help at all. At all. So I thought that was a, a beautiful lesson that she was teaching her students and actually applying it to class. Because we've seen previously 
her working one-on-one with Keyshawn after class and he was failing and she worked out an arrangement with him for him to get his grade up and she actually had a goal with him and he knows that goal that's a whole nother lesson making sure your kids know where they're at and setting the goal with them that's important in the classrooms that's very important that increases engagement that increases buy-in if you're working collaborating with your student on a specific smart measurable goal that's realistic obtainable and it has a deadline to it so she wants him to get a C by the end of the year which he had an F before so that's an excellent way of increasing student engagement as well as building rapport. Keyshawn trusts her as he should. Every student in that class, at least from what we see in the docu-series, should trust this English teacher. She goes above and beyond, especially for high school. Coming from a former high school teacher, she's going above and beyond. And Ms. Stovall, you are appreciated. So, as we look at equity versus equality, the remainder of this episode deals with a lot on race, the achievement gap, and equity. So, at Oak Park River Forest, they have what they call a racial equity learning strand. They also have a district equity leadership team that's supposed to meet six times a year. Let's listen to this audio and then we're going to talk about it. I first started teaching at OPRF and we'd have to talk about issues of race or equity. I was shocked by some of the dismissive comments I'd hear from colleagues. But a lot has changed in the nine years that I've worked there. This is Mr. Dan Cohen. Um, He has been an amazing colleague and mentor towards me. Dan Cohen is active in the school's racial equity learning strand. So this is a really unique opportunity to, to build our, as a white person, to build our racial consciousness and racial literacy. The racial equity strand is meeting six times a year for the adults in the building to engage in conversations about race, about what it means to be a student, what it means to be white, what it means to be black, to engage our curriculum from a racial perspective, to engage our policy from a racial perspective. Wow. How many of us could use a program like this at our school? Doesn't matter if your school's predominantly black, predominantly white, Uh, And to be clear, the school that I work for right now is predominantly white. The school I worked at previous to that over the past, what, five years, um, it it was, I would say it was predominantly white. Yeah, it definitely was. Because I go back to old episodes, I talked about it. It was literally me and a male, a black male science teacher uh, were the only black males there. And, you know, depending on the year, we would have a black female teacher. I'm thinking of one. Me and her are really good uh, colleagues. And, yeah, it was maybe three of us. The assistant principal was, was a black man there. Um, so, yeah, we were, we were vastly outnumbered. But regardless of, more than likely, you have a diverse workforce it might not be diverse enough but there's there's a mix mix of backgrounds mix of uh ethnicities races languages etc so we talk about educational policy we talk about curriculum we talk about cultural civic uh sensitivity we're supposed to keep in consideration as far as subgroups Kids who are impoverished, 
kids who, when they leave school, they have to go home and take care of their siblings. So if you're assigning them homework, they don't have the, the opportunity to sit down and focus on homework. If anything, they may have to help their younger siblings with homework. And also make sure they take their baths, pajamas, feed them, maybe take them outside, take them to the park or something. Like, our kids aren't kids anymore. They're being forced to grow up earlier than they should. So you have to keep that in mind when you're educating these students. You have to consider what's going on outside of class. But if we had a team like this, a committee like this, that can ask those questions, what it means to be a student, what it means to be a teacher, to review policies and curriculum from a magnifying glass, focus on, is there any bias here? Is there any sensitivity here? Is there any racism here? Discrimination here? I mean, that's some of the work I've done with the Tennessee State Department of Education. When I'm on those sensitivity and bias committees and we're looking at the standardized tests we take every year, that's what they have me do in Nashville, Tennessee. Why can't we do that in our schools? in our communities, and in our districts. We should. And there should be a committee like this. Now, this district equity leadership team and this racial equity learning strand uh, has a partnership with a third party. And so a part of that third party uh, is Glenn Singleton and... Out of the first three episodes, besides some of the things that Dr. Holland has said, this might be the most powerful statement and accurate perspective on inequity, racism, oppression, when it comes to K-12 education. We sit in a country that really hasn't decided yet that it wants students of color to achieve at a high level. I have to break it down. No, 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 no. When you get to Harvard, you now have Harvard racism. When you go to medical school, you get medical school racism. So that's why when Obama got elected, we started to know what presidential racism is. What I've discovered about white liberal people is their liberalness only goes as far as when it starts to challenge their situation personally. That's the Oak Park River Forest community. All right. So on episode 35, as we, I provided you context, a backstory for this documentary, how everything started, which started with a uh, African-American students only, along with the principal who's African-American himself, Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, excuse me, Black Lives Matters meeting, okay? They had an assembly. And it blew up. Parents blew up the superintendent, the central office. News got hold of it. And then now we have this um, incredible documentary. This is a racist environment. Dr. Holland has said it several times. Uh, there is a student. Her name is Jada. She's a senior. She actually was in the very first episode and she complained about being the only African-American student in AP courses and being asked, you know, how'd you get in here? How'd you get in this honors class? And despite the fact that Oak Park, which again is a suburb outside of West Chicago, is not too far away from Chicago which has a large African-American population, and the fact that historically they have focused on 
inclusion and diversity and cultural sensitivity. We heard it from Dr. Holland. This is still a high school, a product or, or, or part of the K through 12 system that perpetuates white societal norms. So, and potentially I'm going to do an episode about this uh, outside of this documentary on microaggressions. Microaggressions. I'll be honest with you guys. As an African American man from Wisconsin with a lot of white friends, and I'm very, very Afrocentric, and I always have been. Before we were yelling Black Lives Matter, I've been on that. I've been on it. And I recognize microaggressions, but I'm aggressive myself. So I don't even think about them in the moment as microaggressions. I don't look at it as a white versus black thing or Asian versus black thing or Hispanic versus black thing or whatever the race or ethnicity between the, the two parties that are involved in the microaggression. If you come at me wrong, regardless of your race, it could be black on black, it could be anything. I am going to correct you. I am going to check you. I'm going to do it in a professional way, but that's my natural personality. You can't outwit me. You can't out-debate me. It just, we're not going to have an argument. You can't out-logic me. That's how my brain is wired. It's in my DNA. It's the reason why I probably should have went to law school. Because I can argue all day long. The only reason I don't argue all day long is because I don't get paid. It's not, I don't get paid to argue all day long. I'm not on social media arguing all day. But you guys can relate. We all have dealt with microaggressions. And so there's a lot of microaggressions that take place and have taken place in Oak Park, Illinois, specifically at this high school. And again, perpetuating white societal norms. But there's some not-so-micro, so we can call them macro-aggressions, that have taken place. And we see it when Mrs. Stovall sits with her class and she's discussing how two white kids or a group of white kids were yelling derogatory terms toward one another about sexual preference she was hunting them down telling them hey that's not the place for that this that's inappropriate we don't say that at school you don't say that period and they took off running from her and then they yelled back and called her the n-word i couldn't imagine imagine one of my students, or I'm sure it was students she didn't teach, but I couldn't imagine anyone of a different race calling me that derogatory racial slur. I've been called that word once in my life in Nashville, Tennessee, during my last semester at Tennessee State University at the airport where I was holding down one of three part-time jobs paying off my tuition so I can graduate head to grad school and get started on my life and like I said guys that that wasn't a microaggression but I'm always aggressive but professional. It's a fine line to balance. I've been working on this for 36 years. I'm really, really good at it now. And I'm comfortable in awkward situations as well. So I'm not going to go into the details of what happened and why. Just know that I was in the right. He was in the wrong. 
His vehicle was in the wrong place. You know, TSA doesn't play. Airport doesn't play. You just can't drive through any gate. He got upset. He had his kids with him. He said something. Uh, well, I told you what he said. And I can't even repeat what I said because I don't remember verbatim exactly what I said. I do remember getting very upset. And I do remember saying very explicit words. I remember using explicit language. But I blacked out. I totally blacked out. And to my face, directed at me, with my cognizance, I've never been called that word since. And I'm from Wisconsin. So I can imagine as an educator in your environment where you are fulfilling your calling, your vocation, there's so much we do that kids don't know or care about or appreciate. Same with some parents. Same with some stakeholders. It takes a lot to be a highly effective educator. That's why I wrote my book. Becoming an Effective Black Educator. Because I was going to put highly in that title. But I was like, you know what? Let me just give you the bare minimum from my heart. To just be effective. I'm going to write another book about highly effective. Because that's a different stage in the level that you have to go to. Nobody appreciates that. But just put yourself in Miss Stovall's shoes. And she's mixed. In this episode, we get a chance to see her dad. And she reminisces on the pain she went through being mixed. And she grew up in Wisconsin too. Now the city she grew up in, or town rather... I do not know. I don't know if that's North Wisconsin. I I have no idea of what small town she grew up in. But she did say on the documentary, it is a very small, predominantly white town. So I can only imagine. Milwaukee is diverse. It's still predominantly white. But there's enough black and brown to go around where you're comfortable. And I'm comfortable everywhere. Because as Mrs. Stovall discusses in this episode, she wants to teach her black and brown students specifically how to code switch. I'd make an argument. Everyone needs to know how to code switch. White kids included. Regardless of what business they're going to go into or place of employment or career, whether it's a customer or it's a colleague, you're going to have to work with someone who doesn't look like you. Who doesn't share the same experiences as you. So everyone should know how to code switch. But I agree with Ms. Stovall. It's important. But imagine that. Like imagine that. You're at your place of calling. Your vocation. Where you put so much time. And effort. And energy. And will. And you're called. A racial slur, the worst racial slur you could possibly be called as an African-American in this country by a student. And that student didn't just come up with that. They've heard that before. They've been taught that before. They've been exposed to that before. Babies don't come out of the womb racist. It does not happen. They're exposed to it. Go back to that psychology one-on-one. Nature versus nurture. Races, racism, discrimination is nurtured. It's developed. Whether it's explicit or implicit, direct or indirect. Conscious, subconscious. We suffer from symbology. For those of you who have read the four agreements or the fifth agreement, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you haven't read those books, I highly recommend the fifth agreement. Highly recommend. 
So I personally could not imagine my reaction. I couldn't. And those kids that said that to her, what happened to them? She mentioned they got, I believe, in uh, after school detention. If I'm a superintendent of a school, I would expel a kid that used a racial slur, specifically against one of my educators. That's just me. The racism continues. Oak Park River Forest High School has a very impressive football team. And the coach of this football team, the head coach, he's featured a few times. We get to learn about the f- football program in this episode, and I like him. He's a white guy, but he totally gets it. But the football players recount the different incidents they had where they were called racial slurs during the game. And again, I played baseball. I played basketball. I played soccer back in elementary school. But in high school, middle school, yeah, I played sports. I focused on sports. I was good. I wasn't good good, but I was good. I was good enough to actually play. And in the heat of that competition, you know, I'm not naive. I know things come out. And I've played against predominantly white teams before. I have never been called anything on a basketball court that was racially charged. Ever. So the fact, and remember, this is filmed in 2015-2016. It's gotten worse. I graduated from high school in 2001. Never been called that. And in college, I played pickup games against some of the players that played for that university, respective university. And some of those games got heated. Some of those games got intense. I have never been called a racial slur while I'm playing a sport. Not to my face, not behind my back. Never heard it. Never. And the fact that these kids had to deal with that, fast forward four years now, what are what are students and scholars going through now when they're participating in a sport, uh, sport, track and field, baseball, softball, tennis, volleyball, soccer, basketball, football, golf. <laughs> so many sports out there, right? What are they being called? I've never coached. I've never coached. Intentionally. Intentionally. And that makes me even more apprehensive to ever be interested in coaching. Because if I heard an opposing player call one of my players a racial whatever, stop the game. We forfeit. We're taking you off of our schedule. We will never play you again. Ever. As long as I'm coach. So I couldn't do it. I wouldn't even put myself in that position. And I seriously feel for those young black athletes that have to be exposed to that. And even their colleagues as as white teenagers, I'm sure they're confused by it. It's ugly. This country is ugly. This isn't a melting pot. This is a crucible of divisiveness. And it's gotten worse. It's gotten so much worse. So to Glenn Singleton's point, I'm asking you guys, I want you to reflect on this. Why doesn't the United States of America want students of color, specifically African-American students, Hispanic students, 
to achieve at a high level? What's the threat? You don't want our kids to have the skills needed to dethrone the government? I mean, what do you expect them to do? The status quo isn't working. We've been effectively brainwashed. Effectively. You sold us the American dream. That put a lot of us in a position where we can't fully appreciate it. Because we have an extra bill every month paying off loans. We can't fully enjoy our career, our salaries. Many of the our parents weren't in a position to pay for our education. So we had to take some type of financial aid. And for those that can avoid it, they still have to deal with the hot mess of corporations. Sid pro quo with sexual harassment. A good old boy system that prevents black women from reaching the upper ranks of management. Women in general, but especially our black women, they don't get that opportunity unless they go out and create it. And we see a lot of that. And I love it. It's black girl magic. I support it. This podcast supports it. And it always will. I always will. But why Why doesn't this country want everyone to be successful? I got it. Think about it. Because if everyone has a college degree, it's inflation, right? College degree doesn't have the same value anymore. If everyone has credentials to code and do graphic design and to work in STEM, it doesn't have the same value anymore. See how capitalism works. Someone's got to be at the bottom. Because otherwise, how do you become a millionaire? How do you become a billionaire? You have to, to reach that level of financial security. At least in the system, this game that we're playing called capitalism. You've got to cheat people. You've got to oppress people. Walmart can't become Walmart if there aren't enough employees willing to work for $10, $11, $12 an hour with limited benefits. McDonald's doesn't grow into the powerhouse that it becomes without people willing to work for whatever minimum wage is. $7.50, $8.25. I guess it depends on your local municipality. These Fortune 500 companies, these Fortune 100 companies, these corporations, these individuals that we revere, they reach a level of success, many of them, not all, but many of them, based on Selling false dreams in America. Exploit, oppress. And it's a cycle. And the cycle's been going on for a very, very long time. Who's going to break the cycle? One of my favorite rappers, Jada Kiss, says if you want to hide something from it, put it in a book. That's why literacy is so important. That's why numeracy, numeracy, excuse me, is so important. But those are just basic skills. Once you get out of the K-12 system, you know what? Let me shut up. Because there's an audio that literally made me fall to the ground. There's a sound bite I need you guys to hear that's going to submit this point that I'm making even more with even more clarity. We are 
asking all teachers and as much of the staff as we possibly can to stop and think about their personal racial autobiography and consciousness. OPRF administrators meet with an advisory group of parents and community members who want to hear about the growing achievement disparities. It's about challenging myself. I am the issue. As a white male educator who taught history in this building, was I really changing the way my classroom functioned? I don't know that I was. We know your sons and daughters are in this building and they're suffering. And for me, as a black man who came here because of the rich diversity and to make a difference, when that happens, I don't feel successful. So that means I have to be a little bit more courageous in the things that I do to make sure that I'm supporting all students, but in particular, those that struggle. We still have such low expectations. It should be as challenging for that child in a, a general class as the honors class if those classes are being taught properly. It appears to me to be low-hanging fruit that, that I don't know if we're tackling. I, we can do the low-hanging fruit all day. You're right. We can say, okay, for these students, we're going to do this. For those students, we're going to do this. But if it's truly something systemic, teachers have to be ready. The students have to be ready. The parents have to be ready. So when people say, we want this to happen now, some of these things can't happen now. But these conversations move the needle. The conversations are great. What I'm not understanding, and maybe I'm missing it, is a sense of urgency. If there was a silver bullet, like yeah. we're not hiding it, and it's discouraging for the faculties to see the data, and it is not for lack of caring and concern. I'm not sure how my son left here feeling about himself. What I do know is he had a sense of urgency to rediscover his identity. And I know him, like a lot of other African-American kids who left here, couldn't get to a historically black college and university fast enough because he needed to refine himself. And he grew up in a home where he knew who he was. It is about expectations. The call I got from my son's counselor his senior year was, I haven't heard about his college plans. I'm going to Triton next week. So I signed him up. That was the only time I heard from her, really his senior year, except in IEP meetings. And he didn't hear from her at all. It is a great school. I scrapped and scrimped to get him in this district, but there is low-hanging fruit. So you all keep doing what you're doing, but please don't forget that in the meantime, there are children's lives that you all are shaping and impacting because that four years goes fast. Wow. A sense of urgency. That's what Dr. Holland has been saying the entire time. It's the reason why she has left Oak Park River Forest. Where is the sense of urgency? Where's the rigor at every level? Where's the support? What's the exact strategy, the plan? Exclu excuse my French for a second, guys. What the hell is that superintendent talking about? Well, since everyone is saying it's systemic, the parents have got to be ready. The kids have got to be ready. The teachers have got to be ready. It can't be resolved right now. That's true. But in order for us to get ready, in order for us to get prepared, we've got to set goals. And we've got to create a strategy to achieve those goals right now. The academic gap, or excuse me, the achievement gap is too far and growing. Go back to episode one of this docuseries. The pace on the, according to the ACT composite between white Caucasian non-Hispanic students and African-American non-Hispanic students it will take 75 years for the African-American students to catch up with the white students. Type in your Google, not even uh, achievement gap, 
But let's talk about socioeconomics between a white household and an average African-American household in this country. The gap is growing larger. And I'm going to be frank as I say this. On my timeline, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, the people, the people who have my phone number, people's phone number I have, my email contacts, my entire world and universe is surrounded by ambitious African American individuals. They've got degrees. They're going back to school. They're reading books. They're going to conferences. They're starting businesses. They're starting side hustles. They're working on their credit. They're saving their money. They're taking care of their kids, if applicable. You just heard Dr. Foster on the last episode. That's my friend. That's my colleague. We met several years ago in Memphis on a project we were both working on for the new teacher project. That's been my friend ever since. She just earned her doctor degree. She lives in the Washington, D.C. area. She's doing very well for herself. And it's still not enough. I've got three degrees. I've got my own business. I've got several different side hustles. It's still not enough. I save, I invest. I'm financially prudent. I read. I listen to podcasts about financial literacy. My dad's an accountant. What else do we need to do? Do I need to sacrifice the life of my firstborn? Like, what what do we need to do? Seriously. So where's the sense of urgency? Oak Park River Forest doesn't have it like many of our schools don't have it. The K-12 public education system does not have it. It is broken. What does it take or how long does something have to be broken in order for us to fix it? Well, as Glenn Singleton said, our most liberal liberals, our most unorthodox liberals, they only fight for equality and equity up to a point until it starts to impact and affect them and their livelihood. Then they stop. And another thing the superintendent said, conversations, these conversations move the needle. No, they don't. Just simply talking, participating in discourse, presentation, speeches, infographics, magazine articles, newspaper articles, op-eds, white papers, books, e-books, infomercials, YouTube channels. Look, guys, I have a publishing company. I have two podcasts. I am in the content game. And I'm telling you, with 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 my heart fully exposed rhetoric discourse is not enough we need more we need action we need policies we need legislation we need the right people in leadership at the right time to actually make a change the status quo is not working. Correction. The status quo works for the majority. That doesn't include our black and brown babies. And even when we talk majority, they say Hispanic Americans are supposed to be the majority population, I believe, by, what, 2030? 
allegedly. But will those Hispanic Americans have political, socioeconomic power? How this last four or five hundred years has gone, I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a guess. I'm gonna say no. They won't. The system is broken. The most powerful part of that audio is when the beautiful black Nubian queen, when that mother spoke about how her son couldn't get out of Oak Park River Forest fast enough. Oak Park, Illinois. Chicago, Illinois. The Midwest. Fast enough to go to a historically black college and university. And I'm a proud graduate of an HBCU. I've also graduated from two PWIs, or otherwise known as predominantly white institutions for those that don't know what a PWI is. I've done the big universities. I've done the private universities. I've been to a lot of schools. I have a lot of education. I've got three degrees, but we're not going to even talk about the other credits that I have. I've already been to doctorate school. I didn't finish. Had a son instead. Much better investment. I was in an MBA program. I didn't finish. Guess what? Running and operating my own business, much better investment. Education works, but to a point. Where is the action? We need action. And we don't have it. There's another part of this episode that I wanted to discuss. I'm actually not. I'm going to save it for the very next episode. Uh, Not to say it's not important because it is, but I don't want to make these episodes too long. Uh, And again, remember guys, you can listen, excuse me, you can watch this docu-series for free. You just have to sign up. You'll see the link in the show notes. It'll also be on my social media. Again, we have a new Instagram Instead of the Black Scholars Podcast, it's just Black Scholars Podcast. You can also find me on Twitter, uh, the Black Scholars Pod. We got the Black Scholars Clothing going. If you haven't read the book, I'm actually going to be doing a series on the book that I wrote last. And I'm going to be doing giveaways Um, But I do encourage you to check that book out. It's a very quick read. Becoming an effective educator. And on Twitter, uh, you can find me at at black, abbreviated, B-L-K, Scholars Pod. Or you could just type in the Black Scholars Podcast. Either or. But guys, please, watch this docuseries. You can watch it on Stars. You can watch it by signing up for the free uh, episodes. And I'm going to put that in the show notes again. Um, And then just continue. Continue to listen, subscribe, leave a review, share with a colleague. I love you guys. Don't forget, if there's a a guest that you would like to hear on this show, uh, please contact me. Have them contact me. Uh, My email again is theblackscholarspodcast at gmail.com. If I haven't said it lately, let me say it and reiterate it. I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you for the support. Thank you for listening. So many hours we've spent together. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you so much. And I know as we go into this next school year, it is a hot mess. I know it is. But I need you to remember why you got in this profession in the first place. I can't think of another professional that has had to deal with more than we have. And we've always come out on top. Always. So continue. Continue to stay strong. Continue to practice self-care. Stay prayed up. 
stay hydrated, continue to exercise, eat the right things, do the right things, do things every single day that make you happy. Episode 37. Love y'all. What can I say? Mamba out. I am excited to introduce you guys to Black Scholars Clothing. In this apparel, we've got unisex t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, tank tops. I've even got items for kids and babies. I've even got items for women's athletic. The link for the clothing store is in the show notes as well as social media, but I'll say it one time. teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash black scholars. Use the promo code scholars to save 20%. Thank you for supporting the podcast and enjoy the fresh gear. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta. Try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So the ones don't slave in our history. One no slave ships, one no misery. Call me crazy, or isn't he? See, I feel.